Of course. <laughs> Warning, he's about to start preaching. If you have your Bible with you, or if uh, you need to borrow one, you just raise your hand, we'll get it to you. Um, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Now, I'm going to be between a couple uh, passages of Scripture, Matthew 26 and 1 Corinthians 11. Um, no surprise, you know that I'm preaching on communion today because of those two passages, um, and I like to do this periodically because it's a practice we do and I think at times can run the risk of it becoming so rote and becoming so familiar, um, may not have the same impact, you know, preach a message and then come to the Lord's Supper, take the Lord's Supper, and then head into our day. And so I want to spend some time talking about this this morning, but first, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are an absolute hopeless bunch apart from the rescue mission that you and your Son and your Spirit collectively committed to accomplishing. And I I stand here this morning, Father, as a righteous man because of Jesus Christ. I am clothed in the perfect righteousness of the Son of God. And I ask of you, Father, that that precious, imperishable truth would flavor all that we are and all that we do as a local church, God. And I ask that this time of talking about your supper and then coming to the table, Father God, would bring refreshment If needed, fresh conviction, rebuke, encouragement, strengthening weak spirits perhaps that are in this place this morning. Ultimately, Father, resulting in that we we are in awe of you. You are fantastic. You are amazing, Lord God. And if there's any dust on our understanding of you, or if we feel half alive this morning. Father, that's because of sin. That's because of of our weakness. It has nothing to do with your blazing glory. And so, dear God, fit us better to see you more rightly. And I pray you would do that by the truth of your word that your spirit would take and embed deep into our hearts, Lord God. Grant us a a larger, clearer picture of our King. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I have, where you are going... I'll just say not the speed limit. You can figure out whether that's below or above. And as you're going down the road, it's dark at night, you're buzzing down the road, and all of a sudden, all you see is antlers and hair. And you hit those brakes as hard as you can, you leave a, just a little bit of those very expensive tires left on the road, and you stop, and you just miss him, and you go, ah. 
Are you okay? Now, for most of us, <laughs> I want to be careful here. We go a little slower after that. <laughs> Beloved, this morning, using a very dumb illustration that I recognize it for what it is, I'm putting a deer in front of all of us, and I want everybody to come to a screeching halt in life. I don't know about you, but life feels somewhat chaotic regularly. Busy, going here, going there. We have these helpful devices that we carry around with us. Um, And people calling and texting and We need to drive here and drive there, and fuel prices are so good we can do that. (laughs) And there's people in our family, and there's neighbors, and there's things that break down, and there's, there's just so much buzzing around us that as one of your pastors and somebody that deeply loves you, and for my own soul's sake, I am putting my foot on the brake this morning and bringing everybody here to a screeching halt. To ask a simple question, how are you doing as a believer? How's your walk with the Lord? How's your, how's your, um, your time in prayer? How, how are you doing in the reading of the scripture? When is the last time you shared Jesus Christ and the glory of the gospel with somebody that you don't know? When is the last time you were moved to tears in private prayer when nobody else is around? When was the last time you, as you read the scripture, you felt like you were actually interacting with the text? Like you're in the moment of the text. When was the last time you were so deeply, profoundly moved by truth you had no words to express back to him? How are you? How's your walk? Or are you just making ends meet spiritually? Many boxes checked, heart rarely moved. Again, I am not in any way standing at this pulpit preaching down to anybody this morning. I'm speaking to Dan Mason's soul, but I also am asking you, as my church family, how are you doing? How, how are you in your walk with the Lord? Because collectively, you're here, and a good portion of you that are here, there are some visitors, but a good portion of you that are here, you're the regulars. This is your local church. I see you Sunday in, Sunday out. I see you at Bible studies throughout the week. And I, I'm not asking necessarily a collective question. I'm asking you, in your heart of hearts, before God, without anybody knowing, how are you doing in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? See, communion, I think in particular, is a very, very sweet time to just stop, and before we come to the table, ask the Lord, God, reveal in my heart what's, ha- what's going on. The schedule's been busy. Things are happening. Lots of stuff needs to be done. And that's great. Praise God for your activity for His sake. But it's really hard to put oxygen on somebody else when you can't breathe. So put the oxygen on first and then help somebody else. 
And so I'm putting the brakes on for myself and for you, and I'm asking, how are you doing? How are you doing in your walk as a believer? I'm going to come back to that in just a bit. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the Lord's Supper and why we do what we do. Um, At PCBC, we typically, on the third Sunday of the month, the elders come forward. We use the bread, and they pass the bread out. And then I uh, repeat what is said in 1 Corinthians 11, and then we take the bread together. After that, they come back up, they take the, the juice, the communion juice, and then they pass that out. And I read again for 1 Corinthians 11, and we take that juice. Typically, one of the elders prays and thanks God for his sacrifice, and there's a blessing upon you that we ask for. It's a practice that has always been done in this church. It's a practice that has been done throughout church history. It's a very hotly debated topic, and for a couple reasons I'll touch on in a second. But nonetheless, this is a vital, important practice we don't play games with at Pacific Coast Bible Church. And first and foremost, here's my reason why. This was not instituted by Pacific Coast Bible Church. (laughs) This was not instituted by Pastor Mark Kennedy or Village Missions or any church father. This was instituted by Jesus. So look at Matthew chapter 26 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, I'm going to be tracking mostly from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So if you turn there to verse 17, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. But the point I'm just simply making is the institution of this practice of the Lord's Supper is instituted by Jesus. The stamp of the authority of the Son of God is on this practice. Now, before every sermon, I stand up and I say, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me too. Why? Because it's got the stamp of the authority of God? No, it's just what I say. Typically, Mark holds up a Bible and waves it at that moment. Um, We have a little table up here. And the elders come up and we distribute the elements out to you. We have a pulpit that we use, not a music stand. We have coffee ready every single Sunday. Beloved, it would be interesting to write down how many things we do Sunday in, Sunday out, faithfully. But those things have no stamp of authority upon them. They're just what we do. They're just our practices. This practice is very different than that. This practice is instituted by Jesus Christ and commanded of his people to follow. There's a ton of things that practices at local churches do that come and go and come and go, and they can. We have freedom in that. This is a very different thing. This is not just simply a church practice of PCBC. This is a command of Christ that we are in sin if we disobey by not doing it. And so the Lord Jesus, his stamp of authority is upon this. 
Now, if you look at 1 Corinthians 11, um, the argument is very simple here in reference to who this is given to. In Matthew 26 and in 1 Corinthians 11, it's given to the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is given for believers, followers of the Lord Jesus. So as the disciples were given these elements and took them from Christ, Jesus is giving them something to continue on, to continue to practice. And so as we come to 1 Corinthians, we see this being distributed to a local church. Those who understand and recognize the reality of what is being done as they take the bread, as they take the juice, they recognize the symbolism of the the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a Christian practice. Now, I realize that other religions practice this in some way as well, but I'm saying from what the Bible says, the Lord Jesus instituted this, and this has been a practice of Christians throughout church history. One of the neatest things, one of the neatest things that I've had the privilege of being a part of was taking communion in Africa, uh, seated beside Raj, and to see it look very much like what we do, and the same text being read on the other end of the world with a bunch of brothers who believe in the same Christ, same Bible, and same practice. Seeing that glorious worldwide unity of the body of Christ coming to the Lord's Supper, yet the worst juice I've ever tasted in my life. Okay, so what elements are used? Well, the cup and the bread. This, very, this is very vague in the Scripture, with little emphasis on the nature of the elements themselves. Red juice and bread give the best imagery for flesh and blood. I think that the, the symbolism there is 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 the best if you have red juice and bread. Jesus had wine and he had unleavened bread, what was being used at the time of the Passover. I have no doubt in my mind that that's what he broke, was unleavened bread and passed that out and had wine there. And folks like to bicker and debate, should it be juice? Should it be wine? Should it be less alcoholic wine? Should it be that? Should it be this? And I, I guess I just, maybe I'm too simplistic, but my thought is, I thought this was about Christ. Not the symbol. So let us be very careful not to get lost in the forms by denying the reality that it's representing. If a certain church uses wine, personally, I have zero issue with that. If they have juice, personally, I have zero issue to do with that. But as a practice, I think a red um, juice from the vine with bread is the best symbolism of what the Lord Jesus instituted there. You may differ with me, and if you do, you can chat with Dennis right after this service. <laughs> what do the elements represent? Well, let me touch on this. Before I go there, let me touch on this, because there's massive debate over the, uh, when Jesus says, this is my body. Um, maybe perhaps some of you are, are um, born-again Roman Catholics. I don't know. Maybe some of you visiting are Roman Catholics this morning. I don't know. Um, but one of their traditions throughout history was this concept that what Jesus is saying here is that the bread actually becomes the physical body of Jesus, and the, blood, and the juice actually becomes the physical blood of Jesus. That is not my interpretation. It's not the interpretation of the um, uh, Protestant history in any way, shape, or form, and I don't think that's what Jesus meant at all, any more than Jesus is a door, or that his wrath is an actual cup. Or that he is, uh, or that we are actual sheep. 
There's tons of imagery given over and over and over again when Jesus says, I am the way. Well, he's talking about spiritually he's the way. He says, I'm the door. Well, he's talking about spiritually he's the door. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is a lamb now? No, no, no. The, the, the picture there is what Christ is saying is when he says, I'm the bread of life, he's saying, I'm the, the food. As you take me in, you have life. I give life to you. Wow, by, by some, some words said by a particular man, so that way this bread actually becomes his real body inside somebody? No. By faith. Read the rest of the book. You will see that, no, what he means is, this is a picture of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the door, who is the bread, who is the way, who is the good shepherd. <clears throat> and so the debate for me doesn't exist in Scripture in reference to when he says, this is my body. Not only that, I see nothing in Scripture that gives any indication that that's what he meant by what he says or by what the apostles say in reference to it. You would think they would have touched on that if there was something that was being done. Okay, so what do the elements represent? The broken body, the body of Jesus Christ, poured out blood of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a giving of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is a dramatization of the truth of the gospel. So, I have the baptismal over here. Somebody asked me why we put a jacuzzi in at the church. It's a baptismal. There's no jets in there. Um, when somebody comes to Christ and wishes to be baptized, we are putting them in the water and we're bringing them out. They are being unified with Jesus Christ by being unified with his death, unified with his resurrection. His death and burial, his resurrection. It's a proclamation, a picture of the truth of the gospel. Beloved, when we come to the Lord's Supper, it's a proclamation, it's a picture, it's a representation, a dramatization of the truth of the gospel. This is to point to someone, the Son of the living God, whose blood was spilt from his body, whose body was brutally beaten and ultimately crucified. Dead, buried, and resurrected. And please notice resurrection is certainly touched on in this passage that we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. That would imply, therefore, he's still alive and points to the fact that he was resurrected and will return. It's just like God to give us something that actually touches the senses to bring to remembrance the truth of the gospel. I don't know about you, when I was a little boy, my thought was, oh good, we get to eat in church. I was excited about that. But the portions were so small. <laughs> but there was something, even as a little kid, I remember something particular about those Sundays. Something particularly sweet, something particularly unifying 
about the church. I, I love these people. They were my home. They're my family. But on those Sundays where we gathered together to come, and it was specifically for the remembrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there was a profound sweetness in the room by God's grace. And so that's what these elements are drawing our attention to. Some folks like to debate how often this should be done. If you look at the text, Jesus tells you exactly how often you should do it. He says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So he leaves that door open. Um, And I think that there is certainly Christian freedom to do it when you wish to do it. Some churches do it monthly. Some do it every Sunday. I would not oppose to any of it. I think the main concern is that this is a practice of God's people continually. It is in the continual event calendar of that local church. It's something they take serious and something that they take regularly. And I don't really have a heart to debate what regularly means and really set a cold, hard, fast rule on that. But the point, beloved, don't miss the forest for the trees, is that this should be a continual practice of the local church. Now, what is God's response to those who take the elements in an unworthy manner? Um, It's tough at times for, for me to freshly restate the same thing that I've been saying since I've been at this local church. Um, so I'll just restate what I've said over and over. There's a, there's a very high level of seriousness with what we're doing this morning. Now, don't miss me. There's a high level of seriousness every Sunday in what we're doing. The preaching of the Word, the worship of God, the, the fellowship of the saints has a very high, high caliber. Uh, the stakes are high in what we're doing there. Communion is very much its own separate Um, sense of seriousness because we're coming together to do what Jesus Christ has commanded us to do. Notice he didn't say, if you want, do this in remembrance of me, but rather do this in remembrance of me, period. So this is a command of Christ to his church. And now, so here's the question. Okay, Dan, what do I have to do? What level of seriousness? But before we even get there, what's it matter? What's it matter how I take the Lord's Supper? What kind of consequence would I reap? What are you talking about? I don't know, perhaps you're extremely familiar with 1 Corinthians 11, perhaps not, I don't know, but let me draw it to your attention. What the Apostle Paul refers to going on in this particular local church in reference to coming to the Lord's Supper. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Okay, but... But what else? Look at verse 30. Paul actually states this, and I find the authority in what he's saying astounding that he could actually say this. But listen to what he says. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. 
Now, if, if some of you were sick or ill, or I lost one of you, I don't think I could immediately say, it's because they came to the communion in an unworthy manner. Paul doesn't flinch from saying this. He says, this is why some of you are ill, some of you are weak, and some of you have died. Because you have not taken serious that which the Lord takes extremely serious. It's disheartening when I see it in myself or I see it in another brother or sister in the Lord, when that which is so serious to the Lord is taken so um, glibly, loosely in the life of a believer. That the hushed tone and the sense of seriousness of what you're doing doesn't line up with how serious the Lord takes it. And you go, Dan, how serious does the Lord take it? Apparently, there were Christians in this local assembly, who were sick and some dead because they had come to the Lord's Supper, perhaps holding sin in their heart, sin of their own doing, grudges perhaps toward another brother or sister in the Lord. I don't know and it doesn't say. You can read the rest of the book and there's a a grocery list of particular sins going on in this local church. And God says, this, or the Apostle Paul says, the Lord has brought this into your life because of what you've been doing and how loosely you've been taking this table. I don't know about you guys uh, as far as how this strikes you this morning. It scares me. Because the over-familiarity with this practice can be done so loosely without taking time to examine our own hearts prior to coming to it. And then we mock God. As if this doesn't matter. Well, let me remind you, he sees all things, he knows all things, And he loves you so much, he would bring strong, strong discipline into your life for your own soul's sake. Notice what he says here. He says, eats and drink judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, notice, please please catch this, not if I judge you truly if I judge me truly. So this isn't, I look around and go, hmm, who should be taking communion this morning and who shouldn't? I'd be in sin. That's not my job. You should be before God saying, Father, is there something in my life, something in my heart I'm withholding that you should draw to my attention now? You You judge truly of where you are before Almighty God. If we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, please notice, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Do you see that? God loves us so much, he would spank us. God loves us so much, he would bring discipline into our lives. There's a vast difference between judgment and discipline. Judgment is You will pay the price for what you've done. Discipline is, I will bring something into your life for restoration with love behind it. 
Jesus has taken your judgment, but the Lord will bring discipline into your life if needed, into my life if needed. And so how is, what is God's response to those that say, it doesn't matter, and I don't want to be uncomfortable here, so I'm going to take communion, and that way everything's fine. I don't want people asking me questions afterwards. I will slip the sin under the rug one more Sunday to get by. I fear for you. Not because of anything from me or from the elders or from another Christian in this building, but you're mocking God. And the scripture says God will not be mocked. Now, by his grace, perhaps in that moment, we can unfold our lives before him as best we can and say, Father, reveal to me if there's some business that needs to be done. I want it done. I don't want to walk away without having talked to you about this. Or, perhaps, beloved, if in that moment you say, I really need to speak to somebody, and I'm going to withhold taking the elements this morning because I have some things that have got to get straight, and I don't want to mock the Lord, and my conscience has been pricked. Well, then praise God. That's sweet conviction, beloved. One of the Puritans said that it's a good day when God lets you see yourself. It's a good day. That conviction is sweet. Be scared when you feel nothing. Don't be scared when you feel conviction. That's because God loves you. It's because your conscience works. It's because your soul still has some sensitivity to it. Praise God. And so if you feel that this morning and you have something very clearly right on your radar just beeping at you, well then, beloved, what are you waiting for? Take it to him even now. You can pray with your eyes open. I've done it when I drive. It's tricky the other way. For Amber, it's tricky because she's in the other seat. <laughs> so what are some blessings experienced by the Christian when he takes these elements in a worthy manner? First and foremost, I have to say this because the word worthy is very tricky. You are not worthy to come to communion because you've done something. You're worthy to come to communion because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Simultaneously. That relationship may have some tarnishing going on that needs to be dealt with. There's many times where as husbands, we're married, wearing the ring, but the relationship is really on the rocks. I'm still married, I know, but she doesn't want to talk to you. Perhaps some business needs to be done in the relationship. Perhaps you're saying, I'm a believer. Well, praise the Lord. I'm in Christ. Praise God. But I don't want to go near him in prayer because I know that there's some stuff between us. Well, then get to work. Humble your heart. Confess it before him. Spiritual refreshment can certainly be a part of this event we're about to do together if done in the right manner. That's one 
That's one blessing, spiritual refreshment. Number two, a fresh reminder of the sacrifice of Christ made for your salvation. I recognize it's interesting when we say we're doing this by way of reminder and all of us believers are going, ah, I didn't forget. Well, I know you didn't forget, and that's not the concept. The idea is not, since you forgot about your salvation, let me remind you about your salvation. The concept is, let everything be pushed off the desk for a little bit, and let us put right there as centerpiece Christ. By way of hushed, silent remembrance with the exaltation of Christ. This is a somber, sobering moment where we come and recognize Him. And the score of the ball games and what's happening in the market and gas prices and political strife and that guy at work that won't leave me alone and all this stuff. Just push it off the desk and Christ is central. Now, it should always be that way. We should strive for that in all of our life. But particularly, beloved, as we come to the table, this is a beautiful time to give a remembrance to him, to let Christ have all of you. Number three, it's a public proclamation of the gospel. There's a great potential that there's an unsaved individual in this room right now. As we, and so I'm speaking to you, if you know that you're not a believer and you say, I'm not a Christian, but I ended up in here this morning because I thought it was going to be a concert, but it wasn't. (laughs) I'm speaking to you. And if you're a professed believer and you're struggling whether or not you are a believer, I'm speaking to you. And if you're a believer, I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to all of you, okay? When we take this cup and we take this bread, what we're doing is we are publicly saying we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ as the one and only means of salvation. When Jesus was punished on that tree, that is the only sacrifice needed, and it's the only sacrifice accepted for your salvation. And we love that. It's glorious. We rejoice in that. We take communion with a grin. Number four, it's a looking forward to Jesus' return for his bride. I don't know about you, as we've taken communion together, at least for the last 11 years as I've been here, as we've taken communion together every time, it's always interesting, as we're stepping into taking communion together, there's a warning and there's a sobriety to it. We're we're taking it very serious. Once it's taken, for me personally, it's like there's just this joy. There's this weight taken off because you know what? This draws our attention to the return of Christ for his church. So how could the service not end on a sweet note when it ends, he has power over death and he's coming back for his bride? Of course that's the flavor it would have. And so, beloved, I, um, I want to draw your attention back to the text, okay? If you, if you look down... Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I'm going to ask um, some brothers to come up and we're going to serve you and take communion together. I want to take just a little bit of time, okay? So... um, I want to take some time for prayer. I'm not going to invite you just yet, Don. We're going to pray for just a second. 
fooled you. No. Um, so we, we, I want us to take a moment and just pray. Um, go to the Lord. Uh, take some time just you and God. Ask him, Lord, reveal to me if there's something going on that I need to be aware of that I've missed. And walk in obedience uh, to it. And then I'll draw us to prayer and then we'll, we'll serve you. So let's, let's go before the, our king.